Hey everyone, and welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Avatar, the podcast. I am, well, you know who I am. There's two people on this podcast and we have very different voices. So I'm just going to go <laughs> ahead and say I am Booster Greg. And as always, I am joined by Acorn Bandit. Hello. Hello. So this episode, we are talking about book two, chapter eight, The Chase. Or, as we like to call it, the fast and the furriest. That's right. And before we jump right into this hair-raising tale, oh. we have one quick reminder that we want to tell everyone about. Pins. Pins. It's about pins. It's about it's pins. It's about the tough pin. <laughs> That's right. We <laughs> have, as of two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, carry the four. Some time ago, you all know we're not great at math. So uh, some time ago, we told you all that we have been working on and have released the Toph pin special for book two. So be sure you go over there. Where, where can people get that, Acorn? Well, Greg, people can find that on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, or over on Etsy at Joyson Studio Shop. That's right. Joysons.com. Don't forget the S. That could be your new slogan. You're welcome. <laughs> Joysons.com. Don't forget the S. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we dive in, I want to I wanna just throw a couple bit of trivia pieces out there that I found interesting that don't really pertain to anywhere specific in the episode. So I figured I'd just throw it at everyone in the beginning. This is the first episode where there are no tertiary characters at all. So that's no new voice actors to introduce. We have the core team avatar and we have obviously Zuko and Iroh and Azula and and May and Ty Lee, but that's it. That's shocking. No supporting characters. Mind-blowing. So there goes my whole bit right out the window. <laughs> but that's fine. So that that I found very interesting because I was writing up this this synopsis and I was like, "Wow." It's just everyone. Okay, that's cool. I like that. I'm in, I'm here for that. The other little bit, or the other two little bits, I should say, is it's no coincidence that Zuko alone and the chase both have a very Western feel. This was very mm -hmm. purposefully done by the writers and the directors. They watched a lot of Western movies, like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, to kind of get that feeling. And it wasn't like they were watching these movies and that translated into their work. It was they went in, they wanted this very specific feel. So they did their research and they, they I think they nailed it. They got it down. Oh, totally. And I think it really makes the episode stand apart, too, because so far in this Avatar world, we've seen a lot of Asian influences. Yeah. And this is the first time we were seeing Western architecture and like a Western feel and almost like, a, you know, boom towns and things like that, that we very much see in our past as a, a culture. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. The other little bit really quickly. Here's a little fun behind the scenes for Avatar the Podcast. Writing this synopsis got me really just mentally exhausted. And I couldn't figure out why until after I watched the audio commentary on the Blu-ray. And the director and writer, so Josh Hamilton and Giancarlo Volpe, were both kind of saying like how they were just tired working on this episode all the time in that team avatars exhaustion was rubbing off on them and i think that's what happened to me as well as it was very <laughs> like i sat down to write this this summary a couple different times and i just couldn't get through it and then finally i hit the stride where i was getting like real i was just writing faster and getting really like proficient with it and i realized that they weren't tired anymore when i started really writing faster oh my gosh <laughs> so i was just like okay. what a subconscious influence yeah it was really weird but it was also really cool and i think that's part of the magic of avatar is yeah. just like it when it's on a downbeat you kind of feel down about it when it's on an upbeat you definitely feel up, up about it and that's a credit to the writing it's a credit to the the characters and their development and the direction as well and the animation studios as well yeah man when, when you see those eye bags you're just thinking gosh i could use a nap yeah oh man and they, they just get like more and more prominent as we go through the episode it's really funny <laughs> yeah, they're pretty intense <laughs> all right so like i said this is going to be book two chapter eight the chase it was written by joshua hamilton and directed by Giancarlo volpe we join Team Avatar setting up camp as the sun sets. Toph smiles and comments on how soft the grass is. Sokka is quick to correct her and lets her know that's, that's no grass, that's Appa's fur. After all, 
it's shedding season and he's got a lot of fur. Katara does not seem to appreciate the shedded fur and comments on how gross it is. Aang cheerfully adds that it's not gross. It's just part of spring. You know, rebirth, flowers blooming, and Appa gets a new coat. Katara still thinks it's gross as Appa sneezes and lets loose a hill of fur all over Katara and the surrounding area. I just, I just gotta say. Yeah. If you ever wondered what it's like living with a husky, you're looking at it. (laughs) Yes. Can confirm. My dog Dakota blows her coat twice a year and it's basically just like this. My house. So I don't, I have a, Pippin is part husky and Rusty is no husky, but they both shed like crazy. I just swept the stairs a couple days ago and there's just a fresh batch of fur right there right now. <laughs> so I, I feel this absolutely. It, I've actually just gotten used to it. I just live on fur now. It's just my life. Yep. Oh, yep. same. Yep. <laughs> we have, we have a uh, clothes rollers Yeah. <laughs> for when we really want to like look out, go outside and look respectable. Otherwise we're just, yeah, we have dog. Yeah. We have dog fur on us. We have a dog it's fur. Okay. It's fine. This is fine. This is life. <laughs> Um, so yeah, shedding everywhere. Sokka says it's not all bad because you can make a wig out of it. And then he does so. And it looks like Marge Simpson here, which I thought was really funny. It does. Yeah. And then Aang adds, you can also make a beard out of it. Uh, and he almost has almost that same beard that he did over on, uh, the King of Amashu episode. Yeah. It's very similar. It's the second time he made himself a mustache out of Appa's fur. I feel like it's the second time we've seen it, but it's not the second time that he's ever done that. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> Uh, Katara crosses her arms and comments on how grateful she is not to be the only girl in the group anymore because the two boys are disgusting. Toph walks up not even a moment later and asks if anyone has a razor because she's got some hairy pits (laughs) and lifts her arms up to reveal just like tufts and tufts of Appa's first stuffed down her sleeves. Everyone laughs, including Katara. Later that night, Everyone is setting up camp except for Toph, who is chewing on a wheat straw and enjoying the evening. Now, this is a fun little fact about this one. Jet is the only other character we've seen so far chewing on like a wheat straw or a piece of wheat. And this is yeah. like a, a sign of a, like rebellious nature or something like that. Yeah, it's like so, a cool guy. Yeah. Thing. So she's doing it, too, because she's a cool guy, just so everyone knows. Oh, yeah. Oh, she yes. is. Yeah. I think everyone already knew that, but we're just reinforcing this now. Toph, the coolest. Katara sees this and looks annoyed that everyone is setting up camp except for their new friend. She walks over to Toph and tries to get her to pitch in Uh with either setting up the tent or getting firewood. Katara's pitch doesn't quite go over so well as Toph (laughs) says she's okay in that she can fend for herself. Note, I did have a third pitch pun in here, but I'm going to spare everyone from it. It wasn't. It it was so bad. I didn't even write it down. I'm not going to include it. So, but know that there is one. If you want to know what it is, you can uh, find me on Twitter and let me know if I remember. (laughs) Anyways, Katara tries to get her to be a team player, but Toph doesn't really want to help. When it's clear that Toph is getting agitated, Katara walks away before either of them loses their temper. A few moments later, Katara sees Toph sitting alone as Aang and Sokka unpack Appa feels badly about how their previous conversation went. Katara apologizes to Toph and says that everyone is just really tired and it's probably just getting to them. Toph accepts the apology, kind of, and (laughs) notes that Katara does seem pretty tired. I meant all of us, Katara comments, but Toph doesn't get the hint and calls it a night. Katara shrugs and wishes Toph a good night. Tuff is really adamant about looking out for herself, I noticed from this episode. Yeah. And I figured it was probably because she spent so long being babied and cared for by her parents and her parents' servants. So she's just like, listen, I'm good. I got my food. I got my stuff. I got my tent. Mm-hmm. Just leave me alone. I can fend for myself. And now I actually have the opportunity to. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's... She doesn't want to be helped at all because she's been helped her whole life and she doesn't like that, right? As you said. But I also think it's a misunderstanding of what teamwork is. Yes. Because she's never had a team before. Well, when you think about it, too, she never had a team in wrestling either because right. you're individual wrestlers competing with others. And so she's always been solo. Yep. Yep. So when Katara says something like carry your own weight, she means just meaning help the team. Yeah. But Toph reads it as a, I don't need anything. I am carrying my own weight. Like, you know, I, I can do whatever I ha- I can make my own tent. 
I can find my own food. I got my own little baggie here. I'm good to go. Got my piece of wheat that yeah. I'm chewing on. And Katara is just like, no, that's not what I meant. But it's just this this miscommunication that really kind of what we'll see drives a wedge between the two, which yeah. is really kind of interesting. But Toph's tent, though, very cool. I love it. Yeah. She's like, I can make a tent. And then just like slams her hands on the ground <laughs> boom. and boom, just like instant tent. Jeez. <laughs> Couldn't make like an instant. Wait, wish tent. I could do that. How like. So here's a thought I had. Why doesn't she just make instant houses everywhere or huts everywhere she goes where all of them can sleep in? Because she's tough and she is <laughs> she carrying her own that. weight and doesn't Fair. want to help out the team. I, that always kind of like bothered. I remember it always bothering me that they have an earthbender that can just make walls out of the ground. So just like make it bigger and everyone yeah. can be in there. Uh, all right. So much later that night, Toph senses a rumble in the earth. And makes her jump out of her bed in parentheses rock. Get it? Bedrock. Bedrock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that one is so bad and it was included. It makes you wonder what the other pitch one was. Anyways. It does. <laughs> she warns the group that something is coming right for them and she can feel it in the earth. Which is another example of her using her sub ability of earthbending seismic sense. Yes. It, what I found interesting is it woke her up. So yeah. like she doesn't have to actively use it. It's a very passive thing for her, which is really cool. Toph notes that it feels like an avalanche, but is not an avalanche. After a sarcastic comment from Sokka, the group decides to take off and they catch a glimpse of what's chasing them. It's almost like a train tank thing covered in spikes and armor to the teeth. I'm going to call it a murder train from now on is my nickname <laughs> for it. It is a murder okay. train. I kind of like that better than its official name, which is called the Tank Train. Yeah, it's a murder train. And yeah, it's murder train. We're changing the canon. <laughs> thanks, team. I did find out the Tank Train is a hybrid Fire Nation war vehicle combining a land train and an armored tank. Primarily used as a means of transportation, it is designed to travel at high speeds over most terrain without using tracks and is capable of hauling many people in large loads of cargo across great distances. Hmm. Uh, a fun little behind the scenes trivia from from the commentary track is that Mike, I think it was Mike. I don't know. One of the guys always assumed that Lowe and Lee are like conductors <laughs> for the murder train. I read that they never like put it into the show. Right. They're, they're always like, yeah, Lowe and Lee, they're they're driving this thing. <laughs> they have little goggles on and just ready to go in there. Oh, that would be so cute. <laughs> I could see like little old lady Lowe and Lee's like yeah. steampunk-esque. <laughs> All right. So after a little bit of flying, uh, the group finally lands and begins to set up a camp again. Toph covers herself in a dirt cloud and is just relieved to be on land. And she does like it's like sand bending almost. She just like bends the dust. So it like hugs her almost, which is yeah. really fun. Uh, she goes to turn in for the night, but is interrupted when Katara asks her to help them unload Appa. Toph is surprised to hear that they need help unpacking Sokka's funky smelling sleeping bag, which is confirmed to be funky smelling by Sokka himself. And Katara shrugs and says they need her help unpacking that and everything else. She is a part of the team now, after all. And Toph immediately throws her finger at Katara before she can finish her sentence and is angry. Look, I didn't ask you to help unload my stuff. I'm carrying my own weight. Katara yells back at Toph that she's missing the point entirely. And ever since Toph joined the group, she's been nothing but selfish and unhelpful. What? Look here, sugar. Actually, you should read this. You're, you're the voice of Toph in the group. <laughs> what? Look here, sugar queen. I gave up everything I had so I could teach Aang earthbending. So don't you talk to me about being selfish. Toph then immediately slams to the ground and then earthbends another tent around her. And when Katara yells more, Toph just earthbends a door which slams shut on Katara's face, which is hilarious. Which makes her blood boil. Yes. Oh my gosh. Katara furiously tries to break down the tent. And when Aang asks if they should do something, Sokka comments on how he's just enjoying the show. Aang says that both Toph and Katara need to calm down and nearly gets his head bitten off by Katara, who is completely <laughs> calm. Twitch. Note, this is a side note for all of our wonderful listeners who have maybe not learned this lesson yet. Take it from me. Never tell another person to calm down unless you want the opposite to happen, in which yes. case, tell them to calm down. Never goes over the way you want it to go. 
Cool little note right here. Josh Hamilton, who is the writer, thought the line Sugar Queen was never going to make it to the final cut, but it did. Oh, it's so tough, though. It had to. He he put it in as just kind of like, a, this is really funny, and he doesn't remember how he came up with it. And he was like, yeah, they'll cut it, whatever, not a big deal. And they kept it because Toph called Ang Twinkle Toes. Yes. So they were like, all right, she just has to have nicknames for everyone. Like, this is like her thing now. So that was kind of funny. A little bit later, everyone is asleep except for Katara, who is laying down with her arms crossed and obviously cannot let this one go. The stars sure are beautiful tonight. Too bad you can't see them, Toph. Katara says with a smirk. Without so much as a word, only a grunt, Toph uses earthbending, that like fissure that she used at the, at the dinner table that she always uses. It's that same thing. Yeah. Uh, she releases it at Katara, who is thrown on top of Sokka. Sokka yells about how he can't sleep with all this earthbending going on, and Toph pops her head out of her tent with a worried look because the murder train is back. Dun, dun, dun. Sokka wants some more sleep and kind of says the thing where he's like, hey, can we just get like a couple minutes more? But you can see the smoke from the murder train billowing off in the distance. And they're like, no, we need to move now. Fun fact. This was another moment where I forgot that Toph was blind for just a yes. quick moment. Because when Katara says the stars are beautiful tonight, too bad you can't see them. I thought it was because she's being stubborn and made herself a tent with a roof on it. I didn't realize that it was a blind joke. Yeah, it takes a little <laughs> bit to realize. I was like, oh, geez. That was like the third time I watched this episode. I was like, was that a blind joke? I felt like it was It was also like a little mean for Katara to call out someone's disability like that. But she was also really pissed this episode. So, And a small, tiny, tiny spoiler for anyone who hasn't gotten further than this episode. Toph does make fun of her own disability a couple of times in, yeah. in the show. So not that that makes it better to make fun of a disability, but it's not something that Toph takes personally because she never viewed it as a disability. It's always just right. been like because she can see things that seeing people can't like the ants in the grass from the blind bandit episode so i just i always i know i said it in the blind bandit and i'll say it now and i'll say it again because i'm gonna forget in another episode or two i guarantee it i'm going to always forget that toff is actually blind gets me every time they take off into the sky and everyone kind of wonders how this thing keeps on finding them ang flies appa in a strange pattern and flies for a lot longer than they probably should have they finally land slash collapse on a nearby plateau and after a few insults are exchanged between Katara and Toph, the group theorizes about who could be chasing them. Katara mentions that it could be Zuko since they haven't seen him since the North Pole. Forgot they haven't seen Zuko in quite some time, by the way. Yeah. Zuko is off soul searching. He'll get back around to them. <laughs> when Toph asks who is Zuko, Sokka says, oh, just some angry freak with a ponytail who's tracked us all over the world. Katara points out that Sokka has a ponytail as well, and he quickly corrects his sister. Sokka has, if anyone's wondering at home, it's called a warrior's wolf tail, and there is a difference. There is a difference. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it certainly tells the other warriors that you're fun and perky. This made me laugh out loud. I'm sure it Katara's did. in rare form this episode. She's <laughs> been so cheeky and like a little savage. Yeah. Sokka's line reminds me of when you're playing with an action figure and someone goes, so someone says, go play with your doll and you go, actually, it's an action figure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. They also, they all try to get some sleep since there's no way that this murder train could have tracked them down all the way here. Momo jumps up and down and points out that, guess what? They were tracked. Aang says, maybe they're friendly and they should talk. As a door opens from one of the train cars, we find out who's been chasing them. And spoilers, they are not friendly. It's Azula, May, and Tylee. And they are riding lizard horse thingies. TM. I'm trademarking that. Lizard horse thingies. <laughs> lizard horse thingies. Also known as mongoose lizards. Yes, mongoose lizards. So, so they're charging straight at Team Avatar. And the reason why they're not using rhinos is because the fire nation has deemed these mongoose lizards are like the all-terrain version of the rhinos so that's why they didn't use rhinos they have four-wheel drive they they're literally all-terrain we'll find that <laughs> later we'll find out later right they're charging straight at team avatar katara recognizes them immediately 
And Toph says the odds are looking good. Three on three seems like a fair fight to her. Sokka corrects Toph and says that there's four of them, not three. And Toph kind of forgot about Sokka because, you know, no bending and all. It, it's, it's okay. People forget <laughs> Toph is blind and Toph forgets that there are people who can fight without bending. So Sokka yells that he's a capable warrior and Toph humors Sokka and says, okay, three on three plus Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> Toph does some earthbending to slow their attackers down, and they all retreat to Appa. This kind of works, but not as effectively as they would like, like the earthbending slowing down is what I mean, because Azula makes quick work of a wall that Toph created with a blast of lightning generation. Yeah. So that kind of, like I don't know if Toph sensed that or not, but that kind of is showing us, the viewers, that Toph isn't the answer to taking down Azula. That while she can help, because right. one might argue that because Toph did so well as the blind bandit and took down all of these maybe great, maybe not so great earthbenders very effortlessly that you might think that she could take down their their new nemesis pretty easily. And that's not the case. Yeah, great point. Once they're back in the air, Toph grumbles about how she could have taken them. Katara says, are you kidding me? The crazy blue firebending and the flying daggers are bad enough. But last time we saw them, one of those girls did something that took away my bending. That's scary. Sokka comments how the sun is rising and begins to whine about it because they really haven't gotten any sleep tonight. Aang tells them that they should be okay, but Sokka really begins to freak out. He's never not slept a night, so he's just deathly afraid if something will happen and something always happens. Like... How has he never pulled an all-nighter? Was life that boring in the South Pole where at like 15 years old, he's never not slept? I never pulled an all-nighter until I went to college. Really? Actually, I can relate to this pretty well because I had some friends in high school that were like, yeah, I just didn't sleep last night. And I was just like, you're alive? You can <laughs> you cannot sleep and live? Like it was just oh such a gosh. foreign concept to me where it's just... Like, I went to bed a lot later. I just have trouble falling asleep in general. So, like, I would just, like, lay awake and eventually fall asleep. But I was just always, like, baffled. And then when I got to college, I started pulling all-nighters or going to bed later and later and later. And I was like, okay, like, this is, like, normal. This is something that people do. And people even, their jobs require them to stay up all night. So, yeah, yeah, I can relate to this. So, like, did you have that moment, like Sokka did, where you saw the dawn and you were like, oh, God, what happened Am I going to live? No, no. So I was old enough at that point to know that people have survived staying up all night and didn't die well, immediately. Yeah, like, but I mean, like, like, I think I envisioned it was just like <laughs> the interview with the vampire where like you would just be awake, you would see the sun come up and you would just turn to dust and go away. <laughs> but yeah, so like I would just watch it. I'd be like, oh, that's what it was like. And then I just like did it a couple of times. I did it once for the novelty okay. and then. After that, I just did it because I was being a clown. I see. But yeah, so I, I can relate to him being like, but like something always happens, right? It's like, no, you just move into the next day and then you wish you fell asleep. That's kind of what usually what happens. Maybe you take a nap. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Speaking of like rest and pulling all nighters and stuff, how is it that the Azula squad seems like really fresh and well rested while Team Avatar is completely dragging at this point? Are they just like pros at taking power naps or something? Well, they are not driving, first of all. They're not driving the, no matter who, if it's Lower Lee or someone else, they're not driving the murder train. So they can just yeah. relax during that point. And they don't really get out until this point. They're but just they riding. stopped a couple times. Like, I imagine. They didn't stop. We haven't seen them stop yet. This is the first time that they get out and stop. Okay, true. Fair. So, so I would say probably Azula is the one pulling the all-nighter and she has that like discipline right like she can just like discipline her way through tiredness and it's probably okay, yeah if i'm gonna headcanon this probably has trained on staying up for days on end in the past oh my gosh she would yes <laughs> so that that's just like something that is helping me kind of justify this where yeah. she can just let the two the two other ones tylee and may just sleep and just like let them do whatever they have to do I also think that Tylee probably doesn't require a lot of sleep in general. She strikes me as a type that gets like a four hours and just wakes up perky. She does. Yeah. <laughs> I could totally see that. And actually, if you think about it too, May, I don't think she uses up a lot of energy to begin with. So I feel like she could probably run on minimal sleep anyways. Oh, man. Yeah. Because she has like all these reserves yeah. ready to go. Yeah. She's just always like 
sitting at like a neutral five and maybe she'll like perk up to like a six or a seven in terms of energy level when she's fighting but then goes right back down to a five and just stays there and there you have it folks we just head cannoned <laughs> the sleeping patterns of the azula squad all right so katara realizes that every time they land these girls find them wherever they are so they need to just keep on flying right Aang notes that they can't fly forever, which is true. It's something that I think is very interesting that Katara forgot about is that Appa is a living being. That is interesting. And that he can't just go, right? Like he has to stop and rest at some point. And that's also another thing. They're slowing down too, because Appa is slowing down in the murder train that just keeps on rolling. Yeah. Poor sleepy boy. I know. Meanwhile, on the ground... The girls are following Team Avatar, and Zuko is following the murder train on the same ostrich horse that he borrowed from Song. We didn't call this out in Zuko alone, but that's the same ostrich horse. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out now before anyone gets too angry at at me or at us for not saying that. But I I like that it's the same ostrich (laughs) horse because he's taking care of it. The ostrich horse with no name. Yes. (laughs) Going through the desert. Just going to call him No Name from now on, and everyone who no listened to that episode will know. Yeah. Back up in the sky, Aang lets out a big yawn and asks what the plan is. Toph comments on how she's too tired to think, and Katara says they'll think of something after a short nap. Sokka agrees they all need sleep, and everyone begins to nod off, including Appa, who has fallen asleep, and now they are all free falling. Ah! I love how they're like, let's, take, let's all take a nap, and Appa's like, that sounds great. <laughs> Don't mind if I <laughs> Don't do. Don't mind if I do. Aang does manage to wake up his friend by climbing down his friend's face, which I thought was a really cool scene where Appa's face up and Aang is upside down. And he's just like, wake up, old buddy. And then Appa eventually obviously wakes up, but it's just like a little too late. And he takes off a couple treetops as they crash land near a river below. Yeah. I also really like during that little sequence where... Appa wakes up and he flips his tail down and launches into the air again. And everyone's holding on for dear life on his saddle. And they like hit the saddle hard and then fly back up in the air again. It was a cool little detail they didn't really need to add, but I just love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in any case, it's very clear that Appa is exhausted and they need to rest for a while. Like this is not any surprise to anyone who remembers that Appa is a creature, not a is a thing, not like a mechanical instrument. So he needs to take a break. In her exhaustion, Katara makes a snide remark about how they could have gotten more sleep if Toph just didn't have such issues. Toph screams what? And this delivery of the word what is the best best delivery of anything to have happened in Avatar, in my opinion, so far. I agree. It's just this blood-curdling, angry, (laughs) what little girl's princess oh, it's scream. like a like a whistly screech yeah it was just oh man, i wonder how many takes that they had to do for that because it was just yeah. perfect so she screams what and slams her hands against the ground when ang tries to make peace between the two girls and suggests that they all get some rest Toph and katara ignore the young airbender and begin to argue katara thinks that if Toph helped out earlier they would have gotten more sleep and they wouldn't be in this predicament Toph begins to yell about how this isn't her fault, and if you're going to blame anyone, it should be Shetty over here. Toph pulls a tuft of Appa's fur off of him and reveals to the group that he's been shedding this entire time, leaving almost like a trail of breadcrumbs for Zula to follow. (laughs) Which is also exactly accurate, because when... My dog, when Mm -hmm. my husky is blowing her coat, you can walk up to her and see this like little tuft kind of sticking out a little bit from the rest of the fur and you can literally pluck it out and it's like, it's a tuft. It's like this clump of fur that's just falling off of her body. Multiply that by like a hundred and you got husky shedding season. Yeah. So this is the last straw. Ang loses his temper and when his friend is blamed for this and reminds Toph that she's all about carrying her own weight and that she hasn't been carrying her own weight because guess what? Appa has been literally carrying her this whole time. And you know what? Now that Ang's thinking about it, there was never a problem. It was only three of them. Oh boy. That was, that was too far. That was like yes. one step too far for me. I was team Ang right there. And then he said that and I was like, that's your, that's your tired brain talking right there. Your lizard brain yeah. right there just chirped right up. 
Toph grabs her belongings and tries to leave the group, but Sokka jumps in front of her to try to stop her. And then Toph just uses that Fisher move again and just like pushes him over. And it's funny because he like he's still upright. He's not like thrown out. He's she's just like move. Yeah, I love that. I feel like I've I've never consciously noticed that before. But because she's an earthbender and she's a very talented earthbender yep. to move him, she literally moves the ground like like a conveyor belt almost. Yep. <laughs> she just slides him to the side. It was so funny. And another thing. Mm-hmm. Boy, is Toph effective at making people mad at her. Yes. <laughs> she is yeah. so good at pushing people's buttons. Well, something you have to remember, too, is this is the first adventure with Toph in it, too. So yeah. they're not used to each other. Like, we met her a couple weeks back, but, like, she wasn't part of the group then. So these three have been, actually, I would even argue these five, right? If you wouldn't want to include Appa and Momo, they know each other. They've gotten used to each other. They have, like, a yeah. team dynamic. And now they're introducing this wild card into it who is rebellious and she's got a little bit of an attitude. She's definitely got the the opposite, but same kind of humor as Sokka. It's just like a little more extreme. So it's like fitting all of that into this group. And they have moments where they get along, where they're being pals, but then they have moments where things get tough. They don't know how to figure it out yet. Yeah, and so they play the blame game instead. Yep, yep. that seems, seems like the healthy thing to do. Just blame the new person. Mm-hmm. Anyways... We find out in the next scene that Toph was actually right, and Azula has been following the bison fur trail to track the Avatar with their murder train this whole time. So, she was right. We Yeah. Aang immediately regrets his actions and realizes that he has lost his earthbending teacher. Katara also regrets her actions as well. The lack of sleep and adding a new companion to the team wasn't a great combination, and hurtful words were said, but not meant. Sokka agrees that, yeah, that those two were pretty much jerks to top, <laughs> which uh, that was just funny. Like Sokka being the voice of reason. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> but like he's being snarky about it, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, you guys are terrible. And Katara's just like, gee, thanks. <laughs> we need to find Toph and apologize. Katara tells the group. But Sokka reminds his sister that there is a tank full of dangerous ladies chasing after them. Aang grabs a fistful of Appa's fur and comes up with the plan. The gang gives Appa a bath in the river next to them. As they wash the air bison, we see clumps of his fur wash down the river. Even Momo is helping with the scrubbing. Now that Appa has had his bath, he shouldn't shed anymore. The plan is to have Sokka and Katara fly off with Appa in one direction, and for the young airbender to take a bag full of Appa's fur and go in another direction. The hope is that the tank follows the fur and that the water tribe siblings get away safely and find Toph and everyone meets up later. Speaking of uh, the water tribe siblings mm-hmm. and the tradition of Sokka getting wet whenever there's water bending, as is tradition, mm-hmm. he gets wet in this scene during Appa's bath time scene. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they keep that going this little bit every time. I do too. I appreciate a good long form bit. It's great. We catch back up with Toph, who is wandering the forest alone when she hears someone she thinks is sneaking up on her. She immediately uses a fissure to knock her pursuant down. We hear a man groan behind a rock. That man is revealed to be Uncle freaking Iroh. (gasps) Any comments that really hurt his tailbone? Toph and Uncle Iroh meeting. Toph and Uncle Iroh meeting. We haven't seen Uncle Iroh in an episode, and the first line we get is, Ow, my tailbone. So good. Music to my ears. Yeah. Back at the river, Azula and her squad notices wads of wet fur stuck on rocks where the gang washed Appa moments earlier. Azula then notices that the trail of fur goes one way, but she looks up at the treetops and they're broken and they're going in the opposite direction. Azula realizes what Aang is up to and tells Tylee and May to go in the opposite direction following the broken treetops, and Azula will continue to follow the fur trail. Everyone is on their horse lizard thingies, TM, and the murder train is left behind. So basically, Detective Azulok over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, so I didn't notice this on the first go around. I actually didn't even notice this detail until I watched the commentary. When Appa takes off with Momo, Katara, and Sokka, he does break those trees as he's taking off. Yeah, like a couple of them. Yeah, so she saw that. And at first I was like, that seems convenient, but I just missed it both times because I was writing notes when that happened. So I appreciate that they're showing Azula's, not just her commitment and her dedication, but also her intelligence in this. 
Yes, agreed. She is able to deduce the outcome. Mm-hmm. She's able to use her deductive reasoning to figure out what was happening in a scene, very much like uh, Sherlock himself. Mm-hmm. You know what they're also showing in this scene? What's that? Is Ty Lee's personality, which oh, yes. I very much enjoy. Yeah. See, <laughs> I don't like Ty Lee. She's a valley girl, essentially. She's yeah. Avatar's version of a valley girl. But when you when you look at her, it's just like a pure bean, yeah. a wholesome like little ray of sunshine. It's easier to like her. And so she's just, she likes the simple things. She just enjoys life and figuring out words for things that she's trying to think of, like clumps. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more Team May. If I'm being honest, if I had to choose, I would be too. I'd be, I would want to hang out. I feel like Tylee would just annoy me <laughs> to no end. Well, the reason she would annoy me is just because I'm a very chill person. And yeah. So it's way too much energy for me. Yep. May's more my speed. Yeah, for sure. Aang is exhausted as he is flying through the air, leaving a trail of fur as he goes. He lands in a nearby abandoned mining town with heavy Western vibes. Instead of going out to look for his friends, He assumes a meditation pose and sits down in front of the fur trail he made and waits. I have the name of this abandoned town. Yes, I had it too, but I didn't write it down. Apparently, it's Tuzin, and it was a mining town where earthbenders used to mine for rare metals for many years. Mm. After the metals were gone, similar to the end of the gold rush in our history, the people were rumored to have literally left overnight. Hmm. Interesting. Nothing else to mine. Got to clear out. Got to get out and of now there. We have, now we have a ghost town. What I thought was really interesting is it literally looks like a Western town where it's just like that one street that goes through the middle of it and houses and buildings on either side. And that's pretty yeah. much about it. Yep. I was really about that, especially because like I started rewatching Westworld season one about a couple <gasps> months back. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to make it through season two, but I always hit this like this wall in season two but anyways so like i was kind of like yeah this like i'm feeling this but not and like i think we talked about it a little bit in zuko alone where i was like is this western i can't tell because i'm just in a western mood but yeah <laughs> we rejoin Sokka, katara momo and appa as they search for Toph in the air Sokka comments how she couldn't have made it too far but freaks out when he sees may and tylee on their tail Sokka comments that they need to go faster and make it beyond the river Appa is still really tired, so he's kind of struggling with that. Uh, And they actually are kind of descending a little bit as they continue to go. With another crash landing across the river, the siblings celebrate as they made it to safety. Or did they? Because remember when I said these lizard horse thingies TM are all terrain? uh Guess what? Water is a terrain, apparently, because they are all terrain. (laughs) They can walk on water. They're every terrain. They're every terrain ever. (laughs) They do this like really funny like... Them walking on water is the goofiest thing I've ever seen. But apparently that's actually how some lizards can walk on water as they make that like gestures or that yep. movement. So that was specifically really the green plumed basilisk lizard, which Ooh. is what the animation team based that on. Nice. Oh man, that was yeah. so funny. Also, just a little note about the mongoose lizards. Obviously, they are a hybrid animal, so mm-hmm. they are a cross between a mongoose and the green-plumed basilisk lizards I just mentioned. And I saw in the concept art that Mike and Brian pointed to the basilisk lizard's ability to run across water as the, I guess, like motion the mm-hmm. animators should go after. And then otherwise, a lot of the behavior, I guess, is more like the mongoose. Yeah, makes sense. I believe it. Katara creates a wave with her water bending at Tylee, who jumps off of her mongoose lizard and does some flips and tricks and then takes the waterbender head on. Remembering their last fight, Katara struggles to keep some distance between the two of them. May tries to throw some darts at a distracted Katara, but Sokka jumps in and blocks the attack. I'm going to say this next sentence. This is my headcanon. And this is the only way I can have this make sense. Okay. May realizes that you need to separate the two siblings. So she knows that Tylee is probably not going to do that or maybe not thinking that far ahead. So she takes the initiative and pushes Katara further away from her brother, which leaves Tylee to fight Sokka alone. Yeah, I could see that. And this is actually one of my favorite fights so far in Avatar. Tylee versus Sokka because (laughs) (laughs) Tylee uses her chi blocking 
to block Sokka, but Sokka doesn't have bending. So all it really does is it makes his arms numb and then he tries to yeah. kick her. And so then she uses it on his leg. So he gets noodle limbs. He gets like noodle limbs and he's just hopping around and then she tries to do it. So I can't tell if she's trying to deliver a knockout punch or if she's trying to use chi blocking against his head. But his his skull is just too thick. So it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I think she missed. He like headbutted her as she was trying to strike him again. And so she like. But in the commentary, they said that they like to think that she tried to use chi blocking. On, when I read it, she has a fist when she hits him yeah. with that. I watched this scene numerous times trying to figure this out. But in the commentary, they said that she tried to use her chi blocking on his head for whatever reason. And they're like, okay. yeah, his skull is just too thick, <laughs> which is I'll hilarious. So <laughs> Sokka says, good try, but no. And that's pretty much that. That's my favorite fight in all of Avatar as of right now, which is very humorous and Sokka oriented. And that is, oh my gosh. Back with Katara, May is easily able to disable her water bending by pinning her arms against a nearby tree. Sokka hobbles over to his sister with Ty Lee following suit and goes, how's it going? May makes a comment on how the fight was a disappointment and how victory is boring. Well, May, yeah. they were exhausted and sleep deprived. What did you expect? <laughs> we hear an oppa grunt off in the distance and the two girls are sent flying by a gust generated by the air bison. Thanks, Appa. I don't know what we'd do without you, Sokka tells his friend and is met with a big old wet kiss <laughs> from Appa specifically. Sokka and Appa, the best bromance in the show. So good. Tylee and May wash up a little bit down the river, and Tylee comments how cute Sokka was. May is obviously annoyed. She's just like, ugh. ugh. Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I ship Tylee and Sokka. Maybe it's because I just don't, I'm not a Tylee fan. Maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't remember ever shipping them either. I think I was so focused on Suki being yeah. his best love interest because they just have the same kind of energy and vibe. Yeah, like everyone knows that. We here at Avatar the Podcast are all about Suki and Sokka. But yes. if they made an actual other ship like potential that was as viable as that, I could maybe waver maybe, but they haven't, which tells me that they are meant to be. Yes, I agree. Yes. Okay. Also, just going to throw this out there. I don't remember Tylee ever having a love interest, and that is totally fine. You do not need to find another person yeah, to don't. fulfill yourself. You can be perfectly happy alone. You absolutely can. Absolutely. It's like, I think there's so much shipping talking because in 2005, 2006, 2007, that was a heavy topic. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nowadays we're a little more accepting to different walks of life, including people who are just aren't interested in romance or relationships. Yeah. Back at Tuzin, Aang is watching the horizon with determination when he sees Azula approaching. All right, you've caught up with me. Now, who are you and what do you want? Aang asks the girl, and the two are in an old-fashioned standoff. <laughs> I love it. And it's also really fun to remember that Aang has never met Azula before. Yeah, so he's like, okay, fine, what? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? He's like, this is that part where he starts to be serious. So this is like very much like the Goku thing, right? And I might just be thinking more Goku because A, I'm a Dragon Ball Z fan and B, I'm also watching Dragon Ball Super now. But he, he's goofy and he's wobbly and he's wibbly. And then all of a sudden when it's like down to a fight, he's like, all right, now it's serious mode. And he like lays this brilliant trail and just like sits down and waits like a Jedi, which is so yep. cool. So cool. Uh, Azula is now face to face with Aang. And right, he just kind of said, what do you want? And Azula says, you mean you haven't guessed? You don't see the family resemblance? <laughs> Here's a hint. I must find the avatar to restore my honor. <laughs> it's okay. You can laugh, which is the best part. It's so funny. So she, what she does she, is she takes her right hand and covers her left eye when she says that line to yep. almost mock Zuko's tragedy, which is evil and hilarious from a really twisted perspective. And she's the only one that has made fun of his scar yet. Yep. And she would be the only one because she just loved that day, loved seeing her brother get cut down a couple notches. Because she's a terrible human being. Yep. Yep. 
So what now, Aang asks as Azula goes into a big, bad, evil monologue that I didn't even bother summarizing. But essentially, it's like, (laughs) it's all over and you can run, but I'll catch you, etc., etc., etc. Aang tells her that he's not running and he stands up. Azula smirks exactly like her dear old daddy did in Zuko alone when she was doing the firebending that she was taught and he was proud of her. Yep. That same evil smirk. In front of Fire Lord Azulon. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the scene changes and we rejoin Toph and Iroh. Toph and Iroh. This next scene, when Michael read the script for this, Michael Martino, he asked to storyboard this specifically. Oh, I love that. That's very rare for Brian or Michael to be like, I want to do this scene. Yes. Oh, I forgot to mention that in the Blind Bandit episode, that was another instance where Brian and Michael insisted on storyboarding one of the scenes because to them, the introduction of Toph was so important. Yeah. So in the art book, there's a sequence of storyboarding where it's Toph's appearance, the boulder's reaction, and Toph doing that one move that makes the boulder slide down into a split, but then Aang's like Aang tracking it with his eyes, that Mm. whole sequence they storyboarded it. That's really and cool. I didn't know this before, but Mike and Brian started their career in the animation industry as storyboard artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a scene is going to be great when the showrunners, creators, the people responsible for Avatar, The Last Airbender are like, I'm doing this. scene." you don't say no to that. I feel like. No. no. <laughs> you just go, no, you aren't. You just go, OK, boss. <laughs> you think? Yep. So we rejoined Toph and Iroh and Iroh pours a cup of tea for Toph and notes that she seems pretty young to be traveling alone. And Toph snaps back with how Iroh seems a little too old to be traveling alone. So they have this little back and forth, like, you seem a little young. Yeah, you seem a little old. And it's kind of like a nice, nice. <laughs> yep. Iroh laughs and agrees that he probably is. Toph mentions that she can tell what Iroh is thinking and that she looks like she can't handle herself. But Iroh quickly tells her that's not the case. Toph brings up the fact that he wouldn't even let her pour her own cup of tea, to which Iroh replies that the only reason why he poured her a cup of tea is because he wants to pour her a cup of tea. And that's it, which I love that answer. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just this whole scene. Mm-hmm. Toph and Iroh meeting feels like such a gift. Yes. Because it's first of all, it's exciting to have two of your favorite characters in the same room, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. But also just the the intergenerational friendship that is so instant and They're completely different experiences. It's almost like, you know, Toph, for all of her wildness and whatever, she's actually very insightful. And so it's cool to see her insight and Iroh's wisdom coming together over a cup of tea. It's like so satisfying. It really is. And the other really cool thing, too, is you have they're opposite in every possible way, almost except for their bending because their bendings are technically opposites. But they are kind of on different sides of the war right now, although Iroh isn't really on the fire nation side but he kind of is right um their opponents potentially and they're meeting when they don't realize their opponents yet yeah that also is so very special and i love that yeah and also iroh doesn't handle her any differently than he would another stranger on the street yeah which is very nice so we go back to them talking right and toff is telling iroh that whenever people see her they think she's weak and want to take care of her but she can take care of herself by herself Iroh then notes that she sounds a lot like his nephew, who always thinks that he has to do everything on his own. So I had this thought, and I put it in all caps because I was yelling it in my brain. Zuko has abandonment issues from when his mom left in Zuko alone. Yeah. And that's why he has to do everything for himself, because the last person who actually did things for him that he considers doing things for him was his mother who left him. I could totally see that psychology being the case. So I'm wondering if he thinks if he lets people in, unless people do things for him, that they'll just leave him too. Even though he's tried to ditch uncle on numerous occasions, which is self-sabotage. Yes, it is. From my armchair psychology chair right here, (laughs) Iroh tells Toph that there is nothing wrong with letting the people you love help you out every once in a while. When Toph asks where the man's nephew is, he tells her that he has been tracking him and that his nephew is a little bit lost. Iroh admits to the young stranger that his nephew's life has been very different recently, and he's going through some very difficult times. His nephew needs to find out who he is, so he went away. 
I love how Toph asks, is he lost? And Iroh says, yes, a little bit. Yeah. Meaning not physically lost, but he is a little lost with his identity, with his place in the world. He might be physically lost, too. <laughs> he's just kind of wandering out there. Not, not now yeah. he's not, but he was wandering <laughs> out there for a little bit, for sure. Yeah. I think he saw the tracks and kind of was just like, this can't be good. And he started following them. That's like I my headcanon. Something else I want to note before we kind of continue with this scene. Uncle is testing Toph's ability to see in what her reactions are because he he never like puts the cup of tea in her hand he just holds it out to her and she takes it oh interesting she's blind she should not be able to know that that is happening unless he verbally says or he guides her hand huh huh so he has this whole really like heart to heart moment here and this is not trying to undercut that by whatever like by that like good nature but he is also remember he is a brilliant tactician and a brilliant mind. So he's also testing this person's abilities right here. Because if you figure, I want you to think about this. You're out in the middle of nowhere, minding your own business. You see a blind girl wandering around. You can tell she's blind. Her eyes are you're hazy, right? So he kind of like is sneaking around. She fissures him immediately and knocks him on his butt. So he's like, all right, she's an earthbender. How did she know I was here? Did she hear me? So now he's like, here's a cup of tea. And she takes it from him. Without looking. Without looking. Like, literally, because yeah. she's blind. But, like, yeah. no, you're right. He he does say, here's your tea, after pouring it and holds it out. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't turn her head. She just reaches out and to where it. his hand is and takes it. Okay. So, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. Even so far back as in Zhao's little war room where mm-hmm. Iroh, quote, unquote, accidentally knocks over all of the spears and stuff. Yeah. Which you thought at the time was actually on purpose yep. to try to like turn the attention away from Zuko. I still think And we've that. talked about it ever since how Iroh seems to have this like drunken master quality to him where he's yep. always doing something a little unexpected because he's actually doing it for a reason and testing the situation. So I like that. I think he would do something like that without yes. even calling attention to it just for himself, for his own information. Also, the last person that you could maybe consider a stranger that he had tea with was Zhao sitting on opposite sides of the table. Ooh. So you also have that pie show. I forgot the name of it for yeah. that pie show vibe going on where it's like, all right, here's maybe an opponent. I don't know. Let's figure some things out anyways. Right. That's just how his mind works. So I got a big appreciation from that where he's just testing her and trying to figure things out. Iroh even goes as far to admit that he's been secretly following Zuko this whole time, even though he doesn't want to be followed, because if he ever needs his uncle's help, he will be there. Oh. Yeah, I know. And also, not super surprising. No, not at all. Yeah. Toph tells Iroh that his nephew is very lucky to have him in his life, even if he doesn't know it. She thanks the old man as she gets up to leave. Iroh tells the young girl that sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. And again, that fascinating stranger is just reinforcement of like that. He's like, how can you see this? You, you're blind. This tea oh that I'm holding. Oh my gosh. He's fascinated I love by it. this little I girl. I love it. I subscribe. Yes. Toph corrects the old man and tells him that she is thanking him for what he said. It helped her. Iroh is glad that his words helped. And before she leaves, she offers some wisdom of her own. She suggests that he tell his nephew that he needs him to in his life. Iroh remains silent as he takes a sip of tea and thinks about these words. And there's that tough insight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back at the showdown in the abandoned mining town, Azula asks if Aang really wants to fight. Yes, I really do, a familiar voice says as he enters the street. And it's Zuko. <laughs> I love this nickname. I was wondering when you would show up, Zuzu. <laughs> Azula calmly greets her brother, and Ang giggles at the nickname, Zuzu. Zuzu demands that Azula back off and that the avatar is his, but Azula refuses, causing what is called a good old-fashioned Mexican standoff. And there's more of that, that Western stuff coming in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. I have another little note about that, too. Yeah. I learned that it can also be called a melee à trois, which refers to any fight where there are at least three sides involved who are fighting against each other with no pre-arranged alliances. Oh, that's French. 
Yeah, it's French. So Aang versus Azula versus Zuko is considered a Malay à trois. It's really interesting that like the the English or like American vernacular for it is a Mexican standoff, but the other term is French. Yeah. <laughs> I find that funny. Okay. So yeah, so the three of them are squaring off and eventually, so it's, it's this really, not really long, but it's this kind of long little point where there, we see the three of them going back and forth. This was supposed to be even longer, but it had to get cut short because, you know, 22 minute episodes. And then when it breaks up, it's Azula who takes the first shot. And she fires it at Zuko, not at Aang, which is very telling. Oh, yes. And also, if the two of them just got over their differences, they probably could have gotten Aang within 15 seconds. Easy. Yep. But they're they're all just fighting each other. And you see blue flames and red flames and air gusts just flying everywhere. So uh, Aang takes off into a nearby building without a floor. Azula almost falls in and Zuko definitely falls on his face first, which is really funny. This also reminded me of an old Western set where the the houses aren't houses, but they're just fronts, <laughs> yes. which like really reinforced that like that visual for me. It's also such a great moment of characterization because Azula catches herself and nimbly recovers. Yep. But then Zuko comes in barreling, like, barreling like a bull in a china shop. It's yes. like that is so them. Oh, something else I want to bring up, too, is during this whole like fight. This is a long fight sequence that I just kind of summarized with one sentence because time. But her hair is perfect throughout that whole fight scene. Oh, gosh. Which is good. Find yep. probably just animation shortcut. And they don't want to like have strands out of place. But I'd like to think that it's because she's not even trying at this point. Yep. And she has perfected her bending so much yep. that there is no hair out of place. Also, calling back to the fact that her fire is blue. We talked about this from a previous email, how it's a fan theory that Azula's fire is blue because of salt. Salt is a substance that will make fire change colors. Mm. And so when you think about it, the amount of hours and blood and sweat and tears she put into her craft, of course, her fire is blue. Yeah, which is kind of funny because Zuko is generally the, the salty one out of the group. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Azula chases the Avatar out of this building, right? And then kind of watches him land on a nearby roof. And she just like uses her blue flame almost as like a knife or something and just like cuts this like chunk of the building off, which causes Aang to come crashing down into that same building. Azula walks in slowly with a smirk on her face and lights the building ablaze. And she walks up to Aang as a hunter would its prey. What's really interesting too, is that when Azula's blue flame catches other things on fire or spreads to something else, it turns red. Uh huh. It doesn't stay blue. Very once interesting. Once it leaves her, it's just regular fire. Yeah. It's not attached to her ability anymore. Yeah. On the Blu-ray commentary, I think it was Michael mentioned that he'd like to think there's no solidified thing. So the fan theory is valid, but he liked to think that it's a different temperature, which we know isn't the case. And that's not how blue fire happens. But what he said was when it spreads from her, it just cools down because her anger is just hotter than the actual fire, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was funny. Before she can land the finishing move on Aang, Katara shows up and uses the water whip technique to save her friend. Azula chases Katara outside and battles both her and Sokka. Meanwhile, Zuko wakes up to see Iroh standing over him and tells him to get up and even helps him get up. And Zuko accepts the help to get up, mm -hmm. which is like a blink and you miss it thing. Aang, Katara, and Sokka all surround Azula on the streets, but she is able to defend them off pretty successfully. Suddenly, the earth shifts at Azula's feet, causing her to fall. Toph walks out of a nearby alley and comments how it looks like they might need some help. Azula gets up and attempts to run away, but Iroh manages to stop her with his belly. <laughs> Boing. And corners her. And that's something that came from, what's his name? Sifu Kisu. Oh, yeah? They say in the, in the commentary that Sifu Kisu always kind of thought that Iroh would fight with his belly. Aw, I like that. Which is kind of funny, yeah. Um, so she bounces off her uncle's belly, and she kind of gets, like, cornered by everyone so we have now team avatar zuko and iroh all surrounding the fire nation princess and she throws up her arms and surrenders after all she knows when she's beaten and a princess surrenders with honor dig at zuko mm -hmm. uh, iroh adverts his gaze for a moment to see that the girl he shared tea with earlier is allied with the avatar 
Azula sees the only real threat is momentarily distracted and takes the opportunity to take him out. She sends a single blast of blue fire at Iroh, causing him to fall back and collapse in pain. Zuko looks on in terror and everyone blasts all the elements, all at Azula, all at once. But she manages to shield herself and escape. Which is kind of reminiscent of the way that Zhang Zhang escaped in the deserter. Yep. That like swirl of flames and then she's gone. Yes. Yes. Good call out. I was, I was thinking that too. As the town burns, Zuko kneels before his uncle, unable to cope with what is happening. Team Avatar approaches the two Fire Nation traders. Get away from us! Zuko yells. Toph now realizes that the fallen old man is Iroh. So, so this next part is my headcanon. Okay. She is sensing the earth. She senses his heartbeat, right? And realizes he's alive. I think she also senses that it's Iroh, the guy that she had tea with. Yeah. Okay. So I had the same thought because the camera does this very specific thing where after Zuko yells at them or around that time, it cuts to Toph's face, which looks very stricken mm-hmm. and like almost emotional, like she's tearing up a little bit. Yeah. And then it goes down to her foot. Yes. Her one foot that's on the ground. And I was thinking if she's sensing the earth, she could potentially feel how hurt Iroh is. Yeah. And that reaction could be in reference to how exactly badly he's hurt, which could be very, very much. Yeah. And so she's like, oh gosh, it's the man and he's like super hurt. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's piecing this all this together as she goes, but I don't know. I'll find out in another episode if I'm right or wrong <laughs> or another episode or two. <laughs> so she may or may not realize that Iroh is the old man she had tea with. She definitely realizes he's still alive and Katara realizes that he's probably still alive as well. And she tries to help uh, and, and really try to reason with Zuko to let him help. But Zuko answers her by yelling for them to leave him alone and just like unleashes this fire blast. So he's just like, get out. I don't want you. Beat it. He's not thinking right now. He is just acting and reacting on emotion alone. Yeah. Zuko's intense grief and anger in that moment really gets me. It, it's a lot. It's some yeah. strong emotions. And I wish he had allowed Katara to help because I feel like Iroh would have been able to recover and heal faster mm-hmm. um, and maybe even better. I get it, though, but I still wish he had. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Later that night, Team Avatar lands on top of a nearby mountain and are finally able to get some sleep as a team. And that's the episode. They all snuggle up at the end. There was initially a different ending to this episode where they <gasps> kind of continue arguing. But um, really? it, yeah, but it was I think it never really left the scripting stage. And they were kind of like, this is the perfect way to end this episode. It's yeah. just them sleeping as a unit. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, so. With all that being said and everything, the chase over, who is your MVP, Acorn? Oh, geez. After recording today, I feel like I need to give it to Iroh because mm-hmm. he's like, I like our headcanon yeah. around the tea scene where he's potentially feeling out this new fascinating stranger and what exactly her abilities are. And just the fact that he's so dedicated to Zuko that he has been, he was basically rejected by his nephew at the cave when Zuko decided to go off alone. And yet Iroh's heart is so big and he is so concerned for his nephew's safety that he has been trailing him this whole time so that he would be able to be there when Zuko needs him most. And he was. And so, you know, for all those reasons, I think Iroh deserves it. I agree. It's Iroh. There's no other choice that I even like come up with like a fudge like explanation is iroh as for everything you said he's never left he never abandoned zuko he let him do his thing he kept his distance and was just there as a safety net if he needed him he's brilliant on his own with this whole like trying to figure out if toff is a is a threat if she is uh what is the extent of her abilities all that stuff without her even kind of realizing it and also gracious enough to accept wisdom from someone else even someone who is a fraction of his age yes so yes which ties into our next episode yes and okay but before that we still got the moral of the episode <laughs> i to know talk about so what is your moral of the episode acorn if you have a hairy friend get them a furminator <laughs> i was gonna say get him a razor <laughs> <laughs> no 
Actually, fun fact that a lot of people don't know. I'm going to use this opportunity as an education piece. Yeah. With Huskies, a lot of dogs will get shaved during hot seasons to help Mm -hmm. them cool down and to keep their hair manageable. Fun fact about Huskies, if you do that, it messes their hair up. So never shave your Huskies. The hair will not be able to grow back correctly because the hair is super, super smart. Mm -hmm. It is intelligent hair and it has multiple layers that interlock in a certain way. And that gets ruined when you shave your Huskies. So just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't shave your hands. Don't do it. They're fine. They don't need haircuts or anything. And that's why they shed. It's fact. It's science. (laughs) That's what nature gave them. They blow their coats when they need to regulate their temperature. Yes. My moral of the episode, I think, is going to be... This one's tough because it was so... Actually, you know what? No. I got it. Right as I was about to say another sentence. The moral of the episode is never underestimate the value of a good night's sleep. Oh, nice. There we go. To all of our college student listeners out there, that advice is for you. Yes. If you have to pull an all-nighter, do so. But if you can plan ahead a little bit, I know you you may or may not. I definitely did not and will not. But you may or may not want to. But sometimes you just need that good old eight hours. On a personal note, I have recently adjusted my caffeine yep. intake yep. and I cut myself off at 12 and it works for my age because I'm at the point where caffeine just wires me up too much and I've been sleeping so much better. So there's another little piece of there advice you for you. This episode is just full of wisdom. Yeah. On a personal note for me, I have this next week off, so I'm going to ruin my sleep schedule. <laughs> Smile. All the Vidya games. <laughs> all the Vidya games all the time. And that is the episode for us. That is it. That is everything we had to say. Remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and all the Angmail episodes and want to hang out with us for a little bit longer, you can at least find me over at twitch.tv slash booster Greg. Times may vary as things kind of change a little bit. But if you follow the channel now, you'll get a notification when I go live. And you can always... Join the Geek Generation Discord for those of you who have made it this far into the episode. If you go to thegeekgeneration.com, you can find a link for that there. And you can find us over on the Avatar the Podcast channel. And you can find me over on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and also on my website and Etsy store, joysons.com and Joysons Studio, where I make enamel pins, including our cute Appa friend mm-hmm. and our new top pin. So if you're interested, go check them out. Thanks. Yeah, joysons.com. Don't forget the S. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming up next time. Caught between a toff and a hard place. And Iroh's shocking secret technique. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.